Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host, Leo, and today we are talking about The Legend of Heroes, Trails from Zero. Now, before we get started, I do need to state that this game is the fourth in the series. It also does cover some very dark topics. We will get on to that later, so fair warning there. Otherwise, this is the fourth in the series, so I'll, I will have to summarize at least the the previous three games. I will eventually come back and do those games as episodes themselves, but yes. Technically, people say, oh, you know, you can play this game without the context of, a, of the other games, and you'll be just fine. And technically, that is true. But you will not have nearly the same level of impact that certain plot threads have without the context of the other games. Hell, technically, if you didn't completely scour some of the other games, you miss... <laughs> You miss a decent chunk of context that is summarized in this game, but again, we will get to that later. Yes, yeah, so this is the fourth game in the Legend of Heroes franchise, and it is the first in a duology called the Crossbell Arc, consisting of Trails from Zero and Trails to Azure. And these two games serves as a bridge between the Liberal Arc and the Erebonian Arc, also known as Trails of Cold Steel series. That is a quadrilogy, and the Liberal Arc is a trilogy. So, I will have to explain really only the, um, the, the first three games in quick succession, but before that, let's talk about my history with the series. Now, I had never heard of this series, and I'm always looking for some something that's at least a little bit interesting to at least get a bit of a taste of, you know, as I said with the Star Ocean games. You know, it, it's just something that piques my interest. Something that's not Final Fantasy, that's a JRPG to get a bit of more of a variety. I was introduced to the game by a friend in one of my college courses. He, you know, he suggested the game, though warned me that they take forever to come out. And I was like, that's fine, I'll probably take forever to play it. And boy howdy did I. <laughs> I took about three years. Let me check. I should still have it open. I do. So, going into the achievements for the first game, I was a little put off by the, the art style, but overall, I got into it, because it, it has a bit of a, a chibi-ish art style, so it, it looked a bit weird. Take, um, it, it's kind of, kind of reminded me of, like, Final Fantasy VII, where, like, all the characters are, like, kind of squat and round, except for in, like, battle sequences where they're tall, except for in this case, they're always like chibi and squat. So that doesn't change. So yes, I began the game on November 14th-ish, 2015, and I finished the game-ish uh, around February 21st, 2018. And that's that might even still be a little bit off. Let me check. F February 24th, 2018, give or take. So yeah, it, it, took, me, it took me about mo two and a bit years, but I'll just round it up to three. It took me a long time. And then the, it was a similar story with the second game, as the second game was actually a little bit bigger. And I started it da, 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 on May 28th, 2018, so like a couple months later. And I finished it July 3rd, 2021. Yeah. I don't play these games fast. Like I said in last week's episode, I, I took forever to even get to where I'm at in Final Fantasy VII. The same can be said about this. The art style put me off a little bit at first, but I, I grew into it. I got into the story. I liked the characters. And the combat system is very fun and interesting. 
the combat system gets evolved as the games go on. For the most bare bones of the kind of combat system that it becomes, the first game's really great. I also really love the kind of simplified story of the first game. Uh, I guess we can kind of merge history with a recap of the original game. So the story of Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky, the first game, the main character is Estelle Bright. She wants to be a bracer. Her father is a bracer, so she wants to be a bracer. A bracer is like a it's like a pseudo police force, but not really. They can intervene in international politics and it's a guild that's set up all over the continent throughout the many countries in said continent. And what they do is they they help people, they they, you know, take down criminal organizations, they assist in military operations. It's a complicated job. But she she she's a junior bracer. She and her adopted brother Joshua join the Bracers Guild as junior bracers and are to set out on a journey to get a lay of the land, essentially. So what they have to do is they have to go from city to city, joining that chapter of the Bracers Guild, assist them with whatever they have going on, and then move on. And they have to do it while walking. So you have to hoof it across the great country of Liberal. So there's, there's some things in it. Basically, it starts off really slow and careful. You go from city to city solving, you know, problems as they come up. And the problems start getting bigger and there's a bit of an underlying issue that you tend to uncover. And, oop, it's a coup. Because the the country of liberal is a, it's, it, uh, I think, a functional monarchy. So there, there's a queen who actually affects stuff. And then, you know, a princess who will inherit the throne, etc., etc. Though, I, I can't fully remember the political situation. But, basically, there, there's a coup that happens. You thwart the coup. The final boss, it's a robot. And that's it. It's just a robot. I like that. And technology, at this point in the game, is relatively... airs more on the fantasy side, though. You have these things called orbments that allow you to do crafts and uh, arts... Arts and crafts. The arts are like the magic of this game series, and crafts are like the the kind of special moves that you can do. But that, that's the first game. You solve, you, you put an end to a coup. Then the second game, the big reveal at the end of the first game was that minor character that you kind of interacted with once in a while is actually the big bad. Yeah, so he he you know goes full mask off. Restores Joshua's memory, because he actually had amnesia. The story with him is he was... In the prologue, he's brought home by Estelle's dad. Uh, he has no memory. She, you know, helps take care of him and whatnot. They grow very close. And even though she, he becomes kind of her adopted brother, they fall in love. But now that he's gotten his memory back, he knows that he was used as a weapon. And he's very unhappy about that revelation so he needs to go on a soul-searching journey they announce their love for each other they share a kiss and then he just fucks off so that's what the second game is about is kind of estelle still reeling over this goes hard into her training and she goes to you know level up to be able to hunt him down and help him confront the issues that he's dealing with in this game 
we are introduced to the organization, also known as Ouroboros. Ouroboros is a secret organization that has extremely powerful enforcers. Joshua was one of those enforcers. You pretty much go through the game and eventually work your way through defeating each of the enforcers. Then, the third game, oh, uh, you you fight a madman who turns himself into a, a god. You know, classic JRPG stuff. So, there's that. Third game. This gets weird. Different main characters. Kevin. You play as Kevin. And, uh... Sarah, I think, is the other person. He is a priest. He was introduced in the second game as a bit of a side character who would pop up every once in a while. He kind of showed up after you defeat the big bad and straight up fucking murders him. <laughs> and, yeah, so... So, yeah, so there's some mystery going on with him. He is a priest of the Sepian Church. Uh, the Sepian Church is the religious organization that throughout all the games. They believe in the divine being Adios, who is a goddess and whatnot, and then there's Gehenna, which is the equivalent of hell and whatnot, but he is a priest of that order, but uh, it's a little bit more difficult than that. He is actually a Geltsritter, who is a organization within the church that goes and handles artifacts, these ancient, you know, artifacts <laughs> that have extreme power. So, he goes and he's on the hunt for these artifacts. But, oop, he gets chucked into a place called the Phantasma to, to work out his trauma, I guess. This is, and everyone from the previous two games also gets pulled in. Even some people that were enemies are now, like, party members. And it, it's, a, it's a good old fun time. Everyone goes palling about the Phantasma. Honestly, it doesn't have all that much bearing on the overall plot. Though it does continue some some additional pieces that, that are kind of important. But that brings us to where we are now. Trails from Zero. Now, the third game I kind of rushed through and missed a lot of content because I was getting prepared for Legend of Heroes Trails from Zero. This game, for the longest time, was Japan exclusive, or I guess technically Asia exclusive, because there was a, I believe, Chinese port of the game that got an unofficial English translation. Anywho... <laughs> For the longest time, it was not available in English. But recently, uh, they had a bit of an initiative to bring some of the older games up, starting with Trails from Zero and Azure, games that weren't available in English, now are. This is this was kind of to get people prepped for Trails into Reverie, I think it, it's called, which is the conclusion game of the Crossbell and Erebonian arcs. It, it concludes the, the storyline there. Because supposedly, the Crossbell arc kind of overlaps with the first game in the Cold Steel arc. So, some events might get spoiled here or there. But yeah, so I really wanted to get caught up, play through Trails from Zero, to then, when Azure came out, I could then play Azure, and then I could try to catch up with Cold Steel, and then go into Reverie. Because there's a new arc coming out called um, Kuro no Kiseki, or Trails through Dawnbreak, though I believe the the literal translation is like Trails into Darkness or something like that, or Trails from Darkness, something like that. But anywho, so Trails through Dawnbreak is coming out this year in English, the first game. There's currently two, and the first one's just now getting its English translation, but I'm still catching up, so it's overall fine. But I would like to try to be caught up before the new thing comes out. It's impossible, because even 
Trails from Zero took me a year and a bit to finish. So here we are. <laughs> Trails from Zero, you are the part of the special support section. Uh, the main character is Lloyd Bannings, brother of Guy Bannings. After your brother died three years ago, whilst on the job, you decided, or Lloyd decided to go on a bit of a soul-searching journey and moved to uh, Calavard, the Calavard Republic, one of the two neighbors of the city of Crossbell. He has decided, after all this time, to take the detective test, or the detective exam. He passed with flying colors, and so he goes back to Crossbell in order to kind of try and fill his brother's shoes. You know, it's one of those, I can never live up to the expectations of this dead person thing. But, anyway, he, he goes and he he comes back, though whilst on the train he has a bit of a premonition, is the only way I can interpret it, because the, the lining up of the scenes doesn't quite match how it's supposed to be. I understand that that was like for spoiler reasons and whatnot, but it it's still a bit weird. Because... Basically, the game opens up with the party, the special support section, rushing off into the final dungeon of the game. It's a, a bit of a flash-forward thing. But they they, they don't fully um, have everyone that's actually in that scene there. And also, instead of the fights and whatnot that happen in between and the minor puzzles and whatnot that happen, you just rush straight through. Just run on and... <laughs> It's very silly. But, yes. That is... that that That's the opening. He comes in, goes straight to the CPD, or the Crossbell Police Department, in order to get his assignment. Well, he's been assigned to a newly formed section of the police force called the Special Support Section, which is being made in order to compete with the Bracers Guild. Because in Crossbell... The Bracers are extremely popular. In hell, all over the country, the Bracers are extremely popular because they deal with the people's issues. Well, the police are seen as fucking assholes and extremely corrupt. You know, fantasy. But the police decide to create the special support section to have a little bit more flexibility than your average cop and to be able to help people uh, with their people issues. So, you're introduced to your team. Your team consists of uh, well, Lloyd Bannings, uh, Ellie McDougal, or McDowell, uh, Randy Orlando, and Tio Plato. You know, you're just a bit of a ragtag bunch of people, all kind of unsure of each other. Each with a backstory more tragic than the last. Because, fuck me, why not? So, the first section of the game, the prologue, where you're introduced to the special support section, is just kind of used to get you into the flow of things, and basically you just stop a bit of a dispute between two gangs in the downtown section of Crossbell. Now, one thing that's very important about this game is that it is a much smaller, tightly tuned experience in comparison to the other three games. Well, I'm willing to actually say that Trails in the Sky 3rd is fairly tightly like tuned because you can teleport everywhere and... You don't have really an open-ish map to explore. You're just kind of going from from room to room. <laughs> but the first two games are a really big map 
we're going from town to town to town, exploring each area at a time. And this one, you are exploring one town. It does have, like, areas around it, but it's about the equivalent size of, like, one section of the first Legend of Heroes game. You know, there's a gate. Well, there's two gates. A small uh, village that's just a nice place to be that deals with, like, a lot of the agriculture and farming. There's a mining village. And then there's a hospital or a medical campus. Now, something that is also introduced in this game, a bus system that basically you you do a fast-forwarded version of the first Legend of Heroes game because as you guys go to explore stuff on in the next chapter, uh, you have to do it on foot to, to fully understand the area and whatnot. But the first one, you're just de de dealing with a dispute between two gangs. Once that's solved, an article is written... Yeah, an article is written about the gang thing, but also, like, the very first assignment that they do is to explore the Geofront thing, so it's it's basically the sewer level of the game, and you, you just run through, you get your ass handed to you, and the the bracers have to come in and assist. You become a bit of a laughing stock at first, then you deal with the, the gang, the inner gang violence in uh, the downtown section, you solve that, you gain a little bit of notoriety, and then you kick off the game proper with Chapter 1, Afternoon of the Wolves. So, in this section, you get opened up to the support requests, which are just side quests, essentially. And also, technically, where you get your main quests as well. But it's where the side quests most importantly are. Because <laughs> there's a ton of side quests, and this is the way you get it. Though, mm, key thing to, to know, there's hidden side quests. Like, they don't give you hints as to where they are or anything. You just have to know they're there, or you, at the very least, you have to do the very tedious and annoying thing of talking to literally everyone every time a day changes. And not even just when a day changes, every time... You finish a bit of a thing. Because sometimes you can't do the hidden quest until you've finished other parts of the quests. And they're, like, tied to specific days. So that, that can be very annoying. And it's the only way you can get, like, 100% or even, like, get a very difficult-ish trophy to get, which is um, to get detective, like, rank 1 detective. Anywho, the big thing happening... Uh, at this time, besides now you can do side quests, is there's a string of wolf attacks happening, or reports of wolf attacks, so you're going out to investigate the wolf attacks. Um, and this is where you have to then walk from section to section, so you have to go to Amorica Village, then you have to go to the Mains Mining Village, then you have to go to St. Ursula Hospital. And in each area, you hear what they have to say about the specific wolf attack that they had, you look through all the evidence that's there, then you kind of come up with a bit of a conclusion as to what the wolves were doing in this area, then you go to the next section. That's pretty much it. And in the end, after you've done this, it's found that the the issue 
because the issue with the moth, uh, not the mafia, the ma the two gangs in the downtown section was that the mafia was trying to pit them against each other in order to take over that area. So they were, the way that they were pitting them against each other was by pretty much framing the other the other gang for having um, ambushed a member of the opposite gang. It it's a little bit convoluted, but basically it's, you know, one one gang's member came out and was attacked by who they presumed was a member of the other gang and vice versa for the other team too but it gets understood they've beat the mafia away and you know the mafia vows revenge in chapter one afternoon with wolves it turns out that these wolves attack wolf attacks were orchestrated by the mafia because they were testing out a new form of attack dog essentially by controlling the wolves and using them as attack dogs to to um well I guess they weren't using the wolves. They were using attack dogs. Um, then the white wolves come and assist you. And then you get a, a new friend, Zeet. The, who, who becomes the special support section's um, police dog, essentially. And becomes very vital in chapters to come. Like chapter 2. Which is called Gold, Golden Sun, Silver Moon. The plot for this is that one of the... Members of Arc Uncel, who is the like big acting troupe in Crossbell, famous across Zumeria, the continent, is being threatened by someone named Yin. No clue who that is. <laughs> so you you gotta figure out who it is, and if it's real, she's not taking it very seriously, and doesn't really feel, you know. She's not worried. You know, she's an actor. She gets threats and people being weird all the time. So she she just kind of passes it off. But they are working on a new performance and everyone else in the troupe is worried. So she agrees to let the special support section take, take the lead. Uh, she also knows Lloyd through Lloyd's brother's fiancé. So, yeah. Anyway, so she allows them to investigate... So you go digging around, you find that there's, there's multiple things going on, uh, you end up getting a request from Yin after you, because you, you immediately assume, oh, it's probably the Mafia, because like the dawn of the Mafia is interested in in her, but she's obviously very not interested in him, so she, he might be threatening her. So you talk to them, they say, nah... Then there's a, a new new gang in town, or new mafia-esque group in town called uh, Heiye, or Heiye, something like that. It's a lot of vowels. But you, you go talk to them, they're like, ah, we're a respectable business. It's all good, don't worry. It's all good, we, no. Though Yin is a known associate of that group, has been hired by them to, to, to assist with you know, getting a better foothold in Crossbell. So, there's that. Then you get a message from Yin on your, like, console saying to go explore the Geofront B sector. So you go do that, find a little kid named Jonah who was acting as a... In, he's an information broker. He was acting as an in-between between Yin and the group 
he then tells them to go find Yin at Stargazer's Tower. You do. There, Yin explains that, hey, my, I, I'm not doing this. My name is being used. So my request to you is to find out who it is. Who is using my name? It was at this point, because a lot of times I tend to play these games on mute, though the music is fantastic and whatnot, but normally they're not really voiced, but this game is. At least the main scenes are voiced and some side scenes. But I was I was very surprised when when technically the twist gets immediately spoiled for you when you unmute the audio and you hear very obviously a woman's voice coming from Yin. <laughs> and you're like, oh, so Yin's a woman. But they still all refer to Yin as a man because it's also a running theme throughout the thing. Like, even though, in, in this case, everyone has the issue, but the joke is that Lloyd has trouble, like, distinguishing between the two. It, it's whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so going forward, you you accept their request and you you, you move on. Eventually... You figure, you end up, the case kind of gets taken away from you by the first division, but you decide to work it anyway. You investigate hard and come to the conclusion that it's very likely that the attack or whatever threat was being used will happen during the the uh, preview performance of Arkansas's new play. So, you spring into action to cover the thing covertly. And it turns out that it's the mayor's assistant, Ernest. Yeah, I think his name's Ernest. He is, uh, he was Ellie's tutor because it, the, one of the first twists is that Ellie is the mayor's granddaughter. Her tragic backstory is that her parents got divorced. That's pretty much her tragic backstory. Basically, they got married, were in love and whatnot. They had Ellie, but then... Her father kept kind of... Her, her father had aspirations of changing the system. But he quickly found that the system, being extremely corrupt, uh, didn't want him. So he was kind of exiled and forced to leave. And the mom decided to divorce him and also move away. But they both just kind of decided to leave their daughter in Crossbell with... With her grandfather. So so she's been living in Crossbell with her grandfather since then. She has been struggling with whether or not she wants to continue with the special support section or go assist her grandfather. Like a big part of her story is that she also, at some point, moved away to study abroad to then come back and help, you know, deal with Crossbell's issues. And part of that, she felt, was to best done by going and joining the special support section but she's been conflicted about that choice lloyd doesn't pressure her to stay so she stays and is generally happy <laughs> but Ernest was her her like tutor as a kid and one of the friends of her dad and also now the attendant slash assistant to her grandfather he wants to kill the mayor announce his candidacy for mayor and then pretty much hand it over to the Empire, I think? It's either the Empire or the Republic. I get very confused as to, to who's fronting which plot at times. It 
it can be kind of confusing. <laughs> but anywho, because the whole thing with Crossbell is Crossbell is a trading hub. Basically, Crossbell was founded, I believe, it's supposed to be a hundred years ago now, I think. It's supposed to be like the 70th. It's it's in the anniversary coming up. But anywho, they, they became like a little bubble city after a war. Set up to kind of facilitate trading between the two countries. And is supposed to be kind of like a neutral zone. They're stuck right between the Erebonian Empire and the Calavard Republic. And basically, the way it kind of goes through is... Calavard, sorry, not Calavard, uh, Crossbell is not allowed to have a military, hence the creation of the police force and the guardian defense force. They're not allowed to have airships. They're not allowed to do a lot of stuff, and their political factions within Crossbell are pretty much between the Republican Diet and the Imperial Diet, and they influence, they try to influence the government. Uh, Ellie's grandfather is like an independent. He's just trying to keep things calm between the two. He wants to retire and was hoping that Ernest would, you know, succeed him. But since he tried to murder him, yeah, that kind of goes out the window. He gets stopped, but he has like weirdly inhuman speed and quite a bit of strength. But you're able to kind of pin him down and arrest him. And that's that. Then, and, and yeah, so he was using the name Yin to try and pin it on the... On the yeah, so I think he was trying. He was working for the Empire because he was trying to pin it on the assassin Yin, and thus the Calavardan Republic. Yeah. And then we go to the Crossbell Anniversary Festival. Basically, this section, most of this is just kind of. Um, this section is mostly um, support quests. It, you know, it's the middle of the game, but there is some catch up to do. At, some point, I believe during the wolf investigation, Estelle and Joshua showed up. They are in Crossbell looking for Renee. Renee is a former member of um, Ordoboros who has been kind of running away from Estelle and Joshua, but also trying to show them her past so that her initial hope is that they'll give up on her once they know her past. Whatnot, but at the same time, she's trying to get closure for her past and full understanding. So it's kind of a two-pronged thing. Then she also is there to observe. So that's a big thing. You interact with her occasionally. I think the big thing comes in the fourth chapter? No. No, it comes in the third chapter. The initial potential reveal. Although technically... A lot of the information that you slowly uncover in this game about Renee is told to you outright, though a slightly altered version in the third game. I completely missed the content, and we will discuss it later. Anywho, so you go through and you do a bunch of support requests, mostly. Uh, each day has like a minor thing leading up to the auction. So there's this. there's been whispers of this auction... It sounds extremely shady. Basically, it's a semi-officially sanctioned, because it's like the worst kept secret, essentially, you know? It's an underground auction where extremely valuable things are bought and sold. Um, international secrets are bought and sold. Stolen artifacts, stolen treasure. Uh, you name it, it's probably there. Except for certain things. 
as as is heavily like they're like no when when it comes up. But you do a bunch of support requests. You end up helping out Renee. Renee, Renee, the way you help her out is you go and assist a family who their child has kind of disappeared and they're they're alluding to this not being the first time that it happened so you go and save the child but renee also intervenes and assists and is extremely distraught and worried basically the child is her brother and the family that asked for help is her parents they believed that she died in a fire while he was trying to recover from his uh, massive debt. So loan sharks were like chasing him around. And so he felt it would be best to leave his daughter with like another family that he knew. And a fire ended up happening. And so they assumed that she had died. They were extremely distraught. But then they realized that they were pregnant with another child. And so decided to live on, you know, for her, like for her memory and to do better with this child and give it a better life. But, you know, they still let let the kid wander away during the, the parade. So she gives a, you know, she hears this story and learns that, you know, her understanding of her parents wasn't what she thought it was. She thought that her parents had abandoned her, put her in the situation that she ended up in. And then just moved on. You know, uh, she, she thought her parents had, didn't love her. But they very much did. And while she still had the option to go back to her parents. She decided to not. But as thanks for helping her solve this part of her past. She gives you an invitation to the super secret underground auction. Also known as the Swartz auction. You infiltrate. And go through... And learn learn a bit about the auction. It is extremely shady. It is highly illegal. Uh, and a bunch of rich people are there. You go through and eventually, after you wait a bit, it's time for the auction to start. But there's there's something weird going on. The the guard dogs, because the the mafia is kind of fronting the the um the auction. Though it's because they work for a speaker in the the crossbell diet and yeah so you go through you see why the dogs were knocked out the dogs were knocked out because uh yin was tipped off by heye that there's a quote-unquote bomb in the auction so she gives you this warning and you go to check and inside a case that's supposed to be housing a doll, because that's the big ticket item, is a doll from this very famous doll maker that's also hanging out in Crossbell, and it's supposed to be one of his originals and whatnot. So he, you know, everyone's super excited. It can go upwards of like five million mira. So it's it's the big ticket item. But you open the case and it's not a doll; it's a kid. So obviously, you know, extremely angry about this you kind of start going around trying to break her out but at the same time you kind of tear down the auction as you go along that in the aftermath after you break her out the mafia strictly says that no they did not know that she was there they don't know how she got there it was supposed to be a doll we have no clue because basically 
this this is where the end game stuff starts starts coming in and this is also where I should probably give the the full warning there is some discussion of extremely dark topics and whatnot going forward involving you know child abuse and whatnot it gets dark like this is probably one of the darkest games it's the darkest up front like within the main story though trails in the sky third based off of hidden stuff that you have to like hunt down is pr probably takes the cake because it's it's related but it's still super dark um, during the escape, we do learn uh, Randy's tragic backstory. He is the son of a Jaeger. So y the Jaegers are a kind of... They're, they're like a military group who... A military mercenary group that wreak destruction. And his father is known as, like, one of the bloodiest. But he doesn't like that. You know, he... he distances himself from it as much as possible though he does have a very red ledger as well so but he tries to distance himself from that he he kind of adopts the the playboy persona the playboy gambler persona and he he ends up joining the crossbell defense force was generally overall liked and he had great skill but so he was supposedly kicked out for sexual harassment essentially but yeah so that that's his big tragic backstory but yeah he's been trying to distance himself from the legacy of himself and his family but yeah so there's this is where we learned that there was 6 years ago there was a massive crackdown on a cult who was kidnapping children so this cult kidnapped children kept them in lodges and experimented on them in particular there was one lodge that did did things much worse like the, the experimentation was very bad and ended up in the deaths of many children but one lodge in particular named paradise was being used supposedly according to later games i guess to try and create a vessel to house the cult's deity it's it's weird and convoluted but yeah so Paradise is the the lodge that Renee was trapped in. This is kind of her major portion of her backstory, which you don't get the full story unless you also got it from Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky 3rd, from the 15th Sundor. Basically, after the fire, she was kidnapped and taken to Paradise. So she was kidnapped by the cult and taken to Paradise. Paradise, the cult mainly used, while they were trying to create a vessel and whatnot through methods, they were trying to also use it as a way to gain money. So they used the children that they took to catch political figures in their most, as the game says, depraved state, and use that connection to that location as blackmail in order to gain funds and after the mass kidnappings the bracers the militaries and the police forces of every country kind of banded together to wipe them off the map except the they weren't able to get to paradise because 
its location was extremely well guarded, though the organization, also known as Ouroboros, took care of it, completely destroyed it, and saved Renee. So, with she, after she was rescued, was taken in by the organization. She eventually went to see her parents. That's how she got the misunderstanding that they had just abandoned her and moved on. Though she didn't want to take it out on the child because, well, it's, it's her brother. So instead she decided to kind of watch. She grew a attachment to Joshua, but then Joshua ended up disappearing. And so she ended up going on the hunt for him. Hence the second game when he came back, or quote-unquote came back, but he didn't really. And then Estelle and Joshua have been chasing her down, trying to get her to join the family. This is the past that she she was trying to show them, hoping to dissuade them from continuing to chase her down, but they were persistent. Anywho, with that out of the way, after that was done, you know, that that's why the Mafia was adamant that they didn't know anything because it would have brought the wrath of everyone down on them. They, you know, provided as much information as they could and whatnot, but, yeah, they had no clue that she was there. The girl goes by Kia. It's spelled capital K, little a, sorry, no, capital K, little e, big A, Kia. You, in the intermission, take her to St. Ursula to try and figure out, well, you take her around many places to try to figure out, like, what's up with her memory, the bracers suggest that, well, you ask the bracers to go fishing for information on her through their network. They agree. They suggest that maybe you go to the church, and even though they don't have, like, the same same thing that Kevin has, because Kevin was able to really help Joshua, like, regain his memories. While they don't have that, the Sepian Church should still be able to help. You go to the Sepian Church. She, they're able to uncover a little bit, but all Kia is able to describe is, like, a dark room with a light coming from the top. The light's pretty, but it's still scary. So, that doesn't help a whole lot. So you take her to the hospital uh, and talk to their their leading pharmacologist. The pharmacologist suggests um, her staying in the hospital for about three days so that he can run some tests on her to, you know, try to figure out what's wrong. She refuses, so you kind of just give up and go home. And then we enter Chapter 4, Creeping Wisdom. So through this, things start to unravel, and you start to learn more. It starts with a trip to the Moon Temple. Basically, there's been reports of, like, weird stuff happening at the Moon Temple. Uh, ghosts. And so you go to investigate. And what you find is terrible. Basically, it was... The Moon Temple was like a church thing, and it very obviously was... A house for the the cult. The cult is then revealed to almost certainly have been about 500 years old. Now the cult's beliefs are supposed to be that they, they reject the existence of Adios. At this point it's believed that they worshipped demons, but it is later revealed that no, they don't worship demons. They they just use that to you know help hammer in the, the point that they're against Adios, but no, they worship something else. But you investigate the temple and come to find that the reason that they, there are ghosts around is because the the bell is ringing and is creating like a, a weird miasma thing that's summoning these ghosts to the temple. 
it's weird. You find a sacrifice room covered in blood. It's rough. But yeah, so you you leave, and then we kind of start entering entering the end game a bit. There's you get a call from the mayor of Mains, and he he has a missing person. So you go talk to him about it, and one of the miners, I believe he was actually part of the like wolf investigation uh, at the mine, but he has gone missing. They assumed that you know he went gambling and might have gotten into trouble because he's a terrible gambler. You go to investigate and find that he was indeed gambling, but he won big, and he was doing great, though it, he also seems like a different person. So you talk to him, and he's just like, yeah, no, I'm great, I'm fine, I'm, yeah, awesome. Uh, I'm winning big, of course I'm fine, and whatnot. Then, as the investigation continues, you learn that it, he took a drug. They have no clue what the drug is or anything or like what's going on. And he's very, like basically by taking this drug, he got increased strength, um, increased luck and whatnot. It, it's a bit odd, but yeah, he, this. You go, also go around and learn that other people have also been taking this drug. Um, people who were like low level in one of the gangs. Um, he took a drug and was able to fight off his uh, superior. Then the, uh, yeah, a, a low, a new person at Arkansas who was having a lot of trouble and like stumbling and whatnot, he took the drug and he became absolutely fantastic and whatnot. So, yeah, you look into it, you take the drug to St. Ursula, to the pharmacologist who you took Kia to, and you ask him to look into the, the drug. And he's like, yeah, sure, just give me like a bit of time. I'll... I should have a analysis of what it is by noon tomorrow. And you're like, all right, next day, everyone who had taken the drug has disappeared. So you're waiting around to, you know, figure out what's going on with this drug. And it gets later and later, you're hearing nothing. So you decide to go to St. Ursula and figure out what's going on. Yeah, before... Oh, you also find out that the, the entirety of the, the mafia disappeared so you uh specifically the ravash mafia the one that actually has a dawn so you go you investigate where they went to you're not able to find a whole lot though you do find some clues as to potentially who killed lloyd's brother um and some very obvious ties to the auction and the uh the speaker of the the diet and whatnot so a ton of evidence that they can't really use because they don't they didn't have a warrant. Whoops. So they go and then this is when you go to St. Ursula's after you learn that you're hearing nothing. So you go to St. Ursula's and you on the way you find the bus empty cuz you were going to take the bus but there was a bunch of people there and the bus was like super late. So you go investigate what was going on with the bus. It's empty as if the people were just taken. Like the bus was pulled over and the people were taken. You continue on to the hospital and find that the mafia is here. So you fight your way through, clear it out. Everyone in the hospital is fine. But it is getting more and more obvious that the the uh, the guy the guy who you gave the pills to probably made the pills. And then you work your way up to his office to confront him. He's not there. But Ernest is. Ernest was broken out of prison. The prison 
has been taken over and that entire gate has been taken over by the drug and it turns out the mafia is being like controlled by the drug so you defeat Ernest you find all the information this is where you learned that Renee was part of the experiment or the experimentation and specifically she was at the paradise location and this is you know but you see no information on like Kia or anything oh at this point we've also learned Tio's tragic backstory she was one of the kids kidnapped by the cult held in one of the lodges though as she states she was one of the lucky ones as one she survived where many of them did not and two she was at a lodge where they did experimentation but not um you know it's basically she's implying that paradise you know where the, the sexual abuse happened uh yeah so she was experimented on and ended up gaining like heightened sensory things like she has higher perception and is able to like sense different frequencies and whatnot and is kind of able to tell if someone's like stressed out or whatnot or the presence of people like at first when you're first introduced to her you kind of assume she's like a, a robot maybe because like her her emotions and whatnot are a little bit stilted and her reactions are a bit awkward and she also has like she has like cat ears like a uh, robotic cat ears but i guess that's just a design like a just a headband because <laughs> has like no no uh bearing she's also like 14 but she works for a foundation so, so i at first i was assuming she was like it, the twist was gonna be like she's a robot no she's a kid she was kidnapped from her family her family kind of shunned her because um when she was returned so she was saved by lloyd's brother uh, in their raid on that specific lodge. And she was taken to St. Ursula for treatment. And, you know, she was able to recover. Then she was taken to... She was taken home. But her family were kind of put off by her increased, like, perception and whatnot. So she decided to take herself out of that situation. And went back to Crossbell. But... She learned that she ended up learning of his death and joined the foundation in order to help people. And when she heard of the creation of the special support section, she joined because it turns out, another twist, um, he, like the special support section was the brainchild of Guy Bannings. He didn't want, like he, he wanted a thing to help the people. So that, you know, someone that had a little bit more wiggle room, it wasn't actually supposed to be to compete with the Bracers, because, you know, th that was just something that Sergei, the, or the chief, used to sell the top brass on the idea. So, yeah. Anyhow. But yeah, so she she's shown in the folder, and yeah. But now it's, it's time to run away. There's a really long cutscene where the, as you go back into town and whatnot. You talk to the Bracers Guild. They're on their way back. But who knows? And the Bracers Guild gets attacked. And it turns out that the CGF, uh, of specifically the Belgard Gate CGF, has been taken over. And they are 
they're coming to gun gun them down. So there's a big rush around. You go trying to es- escape. The idea is to try to get because they're very obviously after Kia. So the idea is to try to get Kia out of the country into a safe place. The main idea is to send her off with uh, Estelle and Joshua to Liberal, where she should be safe. But that plan gets interrupted as they are attacked, and yet they have to run around. They end up holding up in the bank, because th- there's a whole like sub-ish plot with the bank going on. Basically, because it's the trading capital, the bank is a big influence on everything in the area, etc., etc., it is like a fortress, so you're able to kind of hang out there for a bit and are fine. This is where you start doing your your specking for the end game. Uh, this is also where you get your I'm going to put hefty air quotes here romance scene with uh, with Ellie because throughout the game it's implied that Ellie you know likes Lloyd and Lloyd likes Ellie, but he is trying to keep it kind of professional. Kind of, he's also just completely obtuse on on things like that. You know, classic anime thing. The guy just doesn't notice. There's a nice little tender moment. I believe it's very hard with the art style that they either go in for a kiss or they do kiss, but I think they go in for a kiss and are interrupted by an announcement, kind of long announcement, for them to be like kind of frozen there in almost a kiss. But yeah, then there's like a little bit of embarrassment. But in order to get that scene, you have to put in the work. Unlike the first Legend of Heroes game, where that's just how the game ends. Like they they share a kiss, and it's very sweet. Now in this, you gotta put in the work if you want to see any kind of romance scene, and that's kind of how the games from here on out go. Is that there are multiple romances and whatnot that you can do if you put the time and effort into seeing them. But the canonical romance is between Lloyd and Ellie, so there's that. Just like in Cold Steel, there's a canonical romance as well. I can't comment because I I haven't played Cold Steel yet. But anywho, continuing with the story. Uh, after you hold up in the bank, you hold a valiant defense of the bank, fighting off wave after wave of enemies, and then eventually you kind of get called out by the main guy, who is currently possessing a different guy. Uh, they find the location of where it is. It's at the Sun Fortress. So, you you go there, meet up with Estelle and Joshua, and you all go in to fight the final boss. You go, you fight them. It's a multi-phase thing. You fight um, you fight Ernest, or maybe his name's actually Eric. I don't know. It, it starts with an E. You fight him. He is knocked out. Then you fight um, the like right-hand man, the big... Jaeger guy from the Mafia. He goes down. And then you fight the big bad. Now, I will state right here, right now, that I am a little bit disappointed that they kind of reused a plotline. They reused the twist from the first game of relatively minor character that you've interacted with once or twice. Turns out to be the big bad. I mean, this time they also decided to kind of blow their load in the first game, where, you know, previously... In the first Trails in the Sky game, he's revealed at the end, and it's like a cliffhanger for the second game. And then you fight him in the second game. In this, it's revealed, and then you, you straight up kill him in this game. <laughs> now, technically, he 
kind of kills himself because he takes a ton of the drug. The drug's name is Gnosis. And he takes a ton of the drug, turns into like a demon. He gains, you know, sight into everything. He now has all the answers, but he doesn't care about you guys now, so you can die. So you fight him first in his human form, then you fight him. Then he takes the drug. He becomes like big golden guy. You defeat him in that. Then he becomes like more demonic and he like wraps you up. But then Renee comes in and interferes, you know, and helps uh, Renee comes in and helps you know, free you guys but you know her robot isn't able to help out anymore after that first shot so you, they you, you have to go do it you have to kill it kill him now so you put in the final effort and kill the final boss and then there's a nice little wrap up Renee is finally quote unquote caught by Estelle and Joshua they go back to liberal. The mayor finally gets to retire. Uh, the leader of the bank decides to run for mayor. The mafia's arrested. The the uh, corrupt members of the diet, because pretty much everyone's inclusion with the cult and everything is exposed, and the entire system gets flushed. People get very angry with the political and police system. And a lot of change is forced to happen. So, that that's the story of the game. Like I said, it, it has some extremely dark moments and is probably some of the darkest stuff on the surface. It, where, like I said, in the third game, the dark stuff is kind of there, but you have to hunt it out to, to find it. The, the main stories overall are relatively light, but yeah... Now we get to talk battle systems. <laughs> so like I said earlier, there is the Orbment system. An Orbment is essentially just a thing that you put Sepith in, or Quartz in. The Quartz you buy with Sepith, which are like bits and pieces of Quartz. It, it Yeah, anyway, but depending on how you put it in, uh, opens up different uh, arts to you. So... Each person has a bit more of an affinity for specific arts, but you can kind of kit them out with whatever. But each orbment is in a bit of a different layout. So, obviously prioritizes different types of quartz. You upgrade the slots, and well, you have to unlock the slots, and then you have to go through and upgrade the slots. And that allows you to put in more powerful quartz as time goes on. Then you go through, and you fight. Uh, some of the magic you get can heal, some of it can you know, absolutely mess up the enemy or delay the enemy. It, it's, a, it's a whole mixed bag. Then you have crafts, which like I said earlier are the special uh, attack that you get. There's also combo crafts where you and a team member can kind of pair up and fight an enemy. And using combo crafts will increase your affinity with the that character as well as getting them like special um gifts and it changes the the relationship scene at the end of the game so it can either be ellie tio randy so like with randy it's like bros with tio it's probably bonding over the fact that um his brother 
was a big influence on both of their lives. And then with Ellie, it's the actual, like, romantic option. So, yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Then, let's see. So traversing is relatively easy. It's a, Like I said, it's a very small map. You just kind of... You can easily run there if you want to, but it's not too hard. It's heavily encouraged that you run around every so often to get any new potential enemies that might pop up because you have to scan every enemy and it, it gets very frustrating <laughs> but luckily one of your teammates literally comes with a scan craft that scans them and brings down their defense and arts defense so that's nice uh, battle is turn-based on a grid system so you can like maneuver your characters around you can try to move them out of attacks because a lot of like arts and whatnot and even some crafts are heavily telegraphed like you know if it's a line they'll have like a big red like channel showing you that this is where it's attacking but yeah then the technology in in the story of the game has evolved quite a bit like i said they have no, they have buses now where in the first game hell even the first three games technically the most advanced technology they had was like airships and that's kind of it though i think there was some in the second game showing like that they have like tanks and shit too i think but the, you know they, they obviously have guns and whatnot but the guns are more stylized like flintlocks but you also have characters that use like swords and shit i know in cold steel uh, the first game, because I did dip into it once, because I wanted to check a very important thing that we'll talk about in a second. But in in Cold Steel, there's a character that uses a bow, but there's also a character that uses a fucking shotgun. It's... Mm, I love shotgun guy. He's great. <laughs> Anywho. But the technology has evolved to where there's buses, but there's also cars. There's, like, armored vehicles... There's a new armored vehicle that plays a minor part in the story. Um, and if you check out the trailer for the newest game coming out in America, the cars got a lot sleeker and look almost modern. But as I had mentioned in the last episode, I I have a bit of a weird stigma towards futuristic, like modern technology in in my fantasy games. But for some reason, I'm a little bit okay with it like this. Like like I said, I was able to kind of get over that stigma a bit with Final Fantasy XV and Final Fantasy VII and whatnot. But in this game, it makes a even more sense because you actually see kind of the evolution as time goes on. Though I will say, it is extremely rapid evolution. Because from Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky, the first game, to... Where we are in Trails from Zero are literally like two years max. It's been like two years. <laughs> and yeah, so that's woof. In fact, the game takes place over a period of like four months. <laughs> and yeah, technology just rapidly advances. Anyway, now the thing that I was checking out in Cold Steel was a mechanic that is very kind of superfluous in the original games but it it's probably what m became the unique selling point of this franchise to many of the english speakers of like to english speakers because it's kind of in addition only to the english games from 
from the sounds of things? Because the chests talk in these games. And I learned why they talk only recently. I thought that that was just how they were in the game. And after I finished the first two games, I wanted to check if Cold Steel also had the talking chests. And, well, at the time I hadn't bought it, I did have PS Plus and it was on there. So I I hopped in and it took forever. You have to play through like a good hour, hour and a half or so of the game to get to the first chest. And I was absolutely devastated that the chest didn't talk. When this game came out and you get to the first chest and yes, it talks. Now, the reason why the chest talk in the Trails in the Sky games and the um, Cold Steel and Azure games is because of a coding issue. So basically, when Falcom were making this game, or when the, when the developers were making this game originally, they decided for every single chest to make a separate instance of a text box saying nothing, or chest empty essentially. So when it was being brought over to, you know, English speakers, the developers asked the company, hey, can we, like, put some, like, jokes and whatnot in in these boxes, probably mostly to help cure them of the tedium of going through and copy-pasting nothing for everything. So they decided to, you know, make some, have some fun with it. And the company agreed and let them do it. And thus, the talking chests were born. They are in the first three games and, at the very least, zero. I haven't checked Azure yet. I'll probably be checking that later today. Uh, But yeah, so the talking chests are a big thing. But when they went into the Cold Steel games, as they were changing the graphic style and the engine, they also... They streamlined the text... So in the first Cold Steel game, there are no talking chests. But in the second one, there are. But not the main chests. They're like these special side chests have have the jokes in them. So yeah, it is, it's a sad thing, but it's also understandable that, hey, you know, at least the game became a little bit more optimized. <laughs> Instead of having, I don't know, there's like 300-something chests. And, you know... <laughs> Yeah, like, you could tell, because when they were originally porting the original games over, when you get to their messages in, like, near the end of the second game, you can tell that they're running out of shit to do. And then for the third game, they just put stories in each chest. So, like, it's all parts of stories that you you have to, like, hunt down, and I guess technically if you want the full stories, you're going to have to, like, jot them down or something. I don't know, it's a mess. Another mechanic, at least in the original three games, I don't know if they're in Zero and Azure, is save transfer. Between the first, uh, like, after you finish the first game and you go into the second game, you can take your save data from the first game and port it over to the second game, and you will have the same level, uh, a lot of the same items and whatnot from the end of the first game. So you can just kind of continue the story on, and the same from the second to the third. 
I don't know if it's the same case for uh, Zero and Azure. Again, I'm probably going to find out here soon. Uh, and then for Cold Steel, I believe you can, but you have to do it in a very roundabout way. Like, you have to finish a new game plus run of, I think, the first game in order to do it. Or you might have to do a new game plus version of the second game. I don't know. I know it gets confusing and a little bit sad, but we'll leave that out. We'll leave that off to the side. But with that, that's that's that. I am kind of annoyed that, again, they reused a bit of plot from the first uh, Legend of Heroes Trails, Trails game. And I... It, it's getting really dark. And I, I'm hoping that the games don't linger too hard on just how dark some shit is. Uh, and I, I already know that there's some really dark stuff in in Cold Steel, probably, as that's the, I guess, the war arc, and some shit goes down. I don't know. We'll see. As it is, I will probably at some point come back and do the Trails in the Sky series. I'll probably do, like, one every so often. <laughs> probably also I'll do them in between other Trails games. Now, originally I wanted to try and catch up fully before the new the new Trails game comes out. But I'm probably going to go a little bit slower. As it, One, usually it takes me a little while to actually like settle into a new Trails game. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but with that... Yeah, if you want some recommendations, I highly recommend that you you play the first Legend of Heroes game. And if you like that, then move on. It is probably the most comfortable of the games, as it doesn't get super dark, and its story is relatively simple. And you don't fight God at the end of it. Like the past three games I've played now, you essentially fight God at the end of it, and it's a bit annoying. I'm hoping that they also kind of eventually tone down the whole fighting god thing at the end of the games. Because, again, like I said, it's, it's, it's a bit overused, and for it to now have technically been the final boss of the past three games is, is a little bit sad. Because, it, it, I mean, most of the time it's a guy, you know, hungry for power, takes a bunch of drugs or fuses himself with weird technology and becomes essentially a god, and then you kill him. You know, classic fair. Yeah, so with that said, next week is Percy Jackson Season 1, the uh, adaptation of the Percy Jackson books. I'm kind of looking forward to them, but I've been hearing a lot of mixed things, but I will, I will watch it and report to you guys how it is. Then after that is Avatar Season 3. We'll finally finish the original Avatar series. In preparation for the new Avatar series. Then we dive into Dune. A lot of Dune. Three weeks of Dune. And then we'll do the new Avatar series. Things might change of course. Because there's a chance of me going off on an adventure. But we'll tackle that when we cross that bridge. Anywho. Thank you guys so much for joining me. If you guys liked this. Feel free to give it a like, comment, subscribe. On YouTube or on any podcast catcher of your choice, feel free to rate and review it. Share it with your friends. Uh, have you played any of the Legend of Heroes games? Uh, let, let me know. 
let me know what you thought. But anywho, thank you guys once again. I will talk to you guys next week. Goodbye.